Hello everyone. Welcome to the I am for podcast sponsored by First Gen Plus Center at George Mason University. I am your host Sayed Mustafa Hassan and in this podcast we explore the narratives of everybody who is first gen and their experiences and everything that goes along those lines. So today in the studio we have uh Melissa, Lex and Betty. Uh, would you guys like to introduce yourselves? I would love to. So my name is Melissa Bavakwa. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And the degrees I've earned, I am a two-time graduate of the University of Scranton in northeastern Pennsylvania. I have a bachelor's degree in Spanish with minors in French and Italian, and I have a master's in human resources management. And my role is I'm the director of undergraduate admissions here at Mason. Wow. Lex. Hi, y'all. My name is Lexua Simeon. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I have a Bachelor of Science in Sociology from Texas A&M University, and I have a Master's of Education from UCLA out in Los Angeles. And currently, I serve as the Assistant Director for the Student Transition Empowerment Program within the First Gen Plus, whoa, within the First Gen Plus Center here at Mason. Uh, and my name is Betty Aquino. I have an undergraduate degree in theater arts and arts management from Eastern Michigan University. Uh, and I am currently uh, in the process of finishing my master's degree here at Mason. Uh, and right now I am the graduate research assistant for the folklore program. Ooh. Nice. Very nice. cool. So welcome you all. So let's start with our questions. Um, so we can start with Lex. Um, so why did you choose your alma mater? Lex? <clears throat> So, <laughs> wow, I haven't told this story in a while. So how I chose my, I'll talk about my undergraduate first. My undergraduate alma mater, Texas A&M in College Station, Texas, um, was an accident. I often say that I didn't choose Texas A&M. Texas A&M chose me. When I was going through my college application process, um, obviously I'm first gen, but I'm also first gen American. Um, so my mom is an immigrant from West Africa. So it was the expectation I was going to go to college, but how you actually got there did not know. <laughs> um, and so I applied to 20 something schools when I was trying to go into undergrad. Um, a lot of those schools happened to be out of state, out of state, state schools, which I now know makes it even harder to get in as an out of state student, um, or a couple of like privates or elite universities. Um, and so I actually committed to a different school. I committed to NYU. I was in love with it. I'd gotten like a good academic scholarship. Um, I was so set. Like I was like, wow, my dreams are coming true. And I ended up not getting need-based financial aid because I didn't know about a CSS profile, which is like a additional application beyond the FAFSA. And I sat there and I'm crying to my family. I have family across the world calling me saying, like, stop stressing your mom out. Like, just go to the school where you got money, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, no, I can do this. I can make it work. I can take, I'm going to take out the loans and figure it out and yada, yada. No. <laughs> Thankfully, um, that is not the route I took. Um, I ended up applying to Texas A&M because I knew I was going to be automatically accepted, not because of my ranking, but because of test scores and things like that. And so thankfully I'd put in an application um, and they ended up awarding me um, a good amount of funding for me to attend. And I went, I went into it 
being like, this isn't where I thought it was going to be. I don't even know anything about this place. Um, <coughs> and so Annam definitely chose me. I'm really thankful for the things that happened to get me there. I think that it's molded me into who I am now, but definitely not the, not where I thought I was going to end up on May 1st when I was submitting my deposits. Um, and then did you want me to talk about my grad school? Yeah. Um, for grad school, I thought that going into the process of figuring out what grad school to go, I was, I knew how it worked. Right. Like I was like, Oh, I've already gone through the undergraduate experience. Like I got this, like it's no big deal. Absolutely not. That's not how <laughs> grad school um, ap- application process works. Um, I'd always heard like, don't go to grad school unless they pay for it or don't do this. But I didn't know how you found schools that would pay for you. Um, my biggest thing was I only applied to schools that would cover my application fees because I was a student still. I was working multiple jobs and keeping myself afloat. And so that was something that was important to me to also for a school to show that they cared about students being able to have access to them regardless of their financial situation. And so I applied to five schools. Um, I ended up going to UCLA, which was an amazing opportunity. And I couldn't believe, like, even now when I say it, I'm like, Oh, I went to UCLA. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But it was a school that did not pay for me to attend. And so what does taking out loans and having to make those decisions and having to weigh pros and cons in a different way that wasn't just based financially um, was how I kind of chose. So I think my finance, the finances in both (laughs) decisions played very different um, factors in how I decided where I went. Wow. It's interesting. Um, because disclaimer, Lex and I work together. I've heard that story before, but every time I hear it, it's like resonate with me and so many other people how we navigate the waters of admissions and kind of like the degree programs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Listen. Yeah, I mean, so when you're telling that story, I thought, oh my gosh, like that admissions office where you thought you were going to go and then ended up not going. Like, it, it's it's so difficult, and I feel like. Students have to navigate so much, and being first gen, it's like uncharted territory that you know our families never went through before. So you don't have that sort of support system with you. They're there, right? They're cheering you on, but it's it's just different. Um, for me, similar to what Lex shared, like I knew I was going to go to college from when I was a little girl. My mom would say to me. And you're going to go to college. You're going to go to college. Mommy and daddy didn't go to college. Um, My grandparents actually didn't even graduate from high school. They had to go to work. They were in factories. One, my grandpa went, uh, he enlisted for World War II in the Army. And um, other grandpa ran heavy machinery. And it was like, you're going to college. You have to get a degree because no one in my immediate family had done that. And so... That's a big responsibility. Like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What am I going to study? So I remember saying as a kid, I didn't want to go to sleepaway school, sleepover <laughs> college. I still, My mom laughed. She's like, yeah, um, you didn't want to go to sleepover college. I didn't because I was close to my family. I still am to this day. And so for me, I wanted to stay a little more local. I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania. I applied 
undergrad to about six different schools. There were some that I remember my dad saying, like, you're not going to Philadelphia. There's a lot of crime. Like, actually, the school wasn't even in Philadelphia. But it's so funny how, like, perceptions of folks who are a part of this journey with us, like, kind of impact us, too. So I ended up going close to home to the University of Scranton. It was the perfect match for me. 5,000 students, not too big, support system nearby at home, lived on camp, lived at home, actually, my first two years, lived on campus junior and senior year, and I just wasn't ready to go away from home. And I wanted a Jesuit Catholic institution. I had been in Catholic school my whole life. And so actually, when I came to Mason as director of admissions, it was my first experience um, not being at a religiously affiliated school. So that it's been an amazing experience, but that was new waters for me. So it was the quality of the education. It was proximity to home, size of the school. It was, I think I actually probably knew my whole life I was going to go there and I just didn't know it, you know, like it was sort of in the subconscious, but not realized to me. And so a lot of my friends were also going to University of Scranton and it was just a really good fit. And it was one of the best decisions that I could have made at that time. I ended up uh, eventually then staying on, getting my master's degree in HR at the same institution. And I chose HR because we didn't need any prerequisites. <laughs> so I didn't need to sit and like figure out economics again or business. I'd taken some business courses uh, undergrad that didn't go so well for me. Um, and so I like to get A's and I, I didn't. But um, so that's why I chose HR and it, and it worked out in the end. Wow. Um, both of you have said some things that really resonate with me, like not knowing about some other applications, like, and then you hear about it and you're like, wait a second, like, why didn't I know about mm -hmm. that? And, you know, having people who are familiar with the process would probably know better. And then, you know, the pressure of like, because my parents told me my whole life, you're going to go to college. Yep. You know, there's no choice. You're going to go to college. My dad was a truck driver. Um, my mom was um, a CNA, a certified nurse assistant. And then by the time I actually graduated college, she was like an operating room manager. So she had also kind of gone through this like educational journey at the same time I had in undergrad. She had like gone to community, like her job had sent her to a community college to like get these certifications and whatnot. Um, uh, so anyways, I uh, <laughs> where I ended up going to college is kind of a, a long story. I went to Eastern Michigan University, which is in Ypsilanti, Michigan, um, and I but I did grow up in Norfolk, Virginia. But if you ask me where home is, it's Ipsy, Ypsilanti. Um, so when I was uh, growing up, um, I actually have a twin sister. Um, and we kind of had to do a lot of the same things because my parents were constantly, like, working. And they couldn't afford for us to, like, do two different things. No matter, like, how desperately, like, we each wanted to do two, two different things. Um, and when I got to high school, there we had a rowing team. And I had never heard of rowing before. Uh, and I had a girlfriend on the team who kind of dragged me to practice. And we were old enough that, you know, I could carpool with friends. So we could finally kind of go off and do our own thing. And my coach was also, by trade, an educator. She didn't teach at our high school. She actually taught at an elementary school. Uh, and she, I think by the time that I finished high school, she had also earned her PhD in, like, education or something at William & Mary. So her end game was to make sure that everybody had a chance to do this sport because it's not a cheap sport to participate in by any, like, stretch of the imagination. So for us, we were able to get 
like all kinds of kids to join the team because there weren't like all these crazy fees associated with us. Um, we weren't sponsored by the school technically. So there's all kinds of like, if you're not like a Virginia high school school at sport, there's all kinds of like things you have to do to, to pay for, you know, whatnot. So she worked really hard to make sure that kids didn't have to worry about that. And I was really lucky to have that. That did lead to an athletic scholarship. Um, so that was like how I um, ended up at uh, Eastern Michigan. Uh, and it's also kind of known as like a big teaching school in Michigan. I, I initially uh, wanted to be a teacher. And then when I got there, I remember being like, wait, I can do anything? <laughs> so cool. I can do anything. And, you know, I was learning about all of these different majors and things that you could study and these things you could do. And I ended up um, switching into um, theater arts and arts management because I was a theater kid in high school. Um, and I mostly did... Uh, like theatrical work throughout the the state of Michigan and um, in like Chicago area for a long time. Uh, and then I moved into marketing, um, moved back down to Virginia, was still kind of doing some marketing stuff, moved up to the DC area where I was involved in some very kind of, uh, you know, like DC corporate kind of marketing, very like, you know, like very like button up DC government <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, and during the pandemic, I was, I actually worked from home pre-pandemic. Uh, and then, during the pandemic, my work routine was getting, like, really rough because I was like, man, beforehand I could leave my house and go do something. And now I'm, like, stuck at home all the time. And, like, now everything is converging into the space that um, I live in. Uh, and I had the TV on one day and I was kind of, like, you know, background white noise. And they were interviewing a folklorist. Hmm. And I said, wait a second. What is – is that a – that's a thing I can study? So then I started looking it up and I was like, wait, you know, I have, I kind of have a lot of these skill sets from a, you know, a theater background, understanding like narrative and storytelling, but also arts management. You know, I see that there's like folk festivals and, and museums. I'm like, I think all of these kind of converge into this really interesting field of study. So I did a very quick Google search and turns out I live 10 minutes from campus. <laughs> um, but ironically, I couldn't even be on campus when I first started classes. <laughs> oh. So I, yeah, so I, I emailed um, uh, Dr. Ben Gatling and we set up a phone call and he was super warm and welcoming and I had all these questions and, you know, I was like, I, I have all these ideas of what I think folklore is um, and I've come to learn that some of my ideas are true and some of them are, are not true, but I've learned a lot of new things that I really enjoy and I'm really excited about. Um, so, yeah, after uh, a long you know, a long time away from undergrad, I ended up coming back to school probably about 10 years between the two. And a lot has changed. Um, I feel like when I first started undergrad, there was this transition to technology, you know, more and more technology in the classrooms. You know, like when I when I first started undergrad, like the iPhone was brand new still and most people didn't have it. Um, and now, you know, we have like all these like online components and um, everything is very integrated and there's all kinds of, um, there was a little bit of a learning curve at first, but um, it was still very exciting to kind of come back to school at a time when things are, are like almost brand new to me too. That's very interesting, sports and theater and all this. That's, um, I haven't heard a lot of people having that kind of combination. So I'll continue the conversation with you, like with that kind of background. Um, what do you think, like, what does, like, first-gen mean to you uh, coming from the background, like, academic and your, uh, you know, personal background? 
So I've been thinking about this since I read the first question, and it's definitely a multiplicity of things. Um, you know, I am, you know, I'm the product of like working class people. Um, I am, you know, the product of me having all of these opportunities that I don't think I would have had otherwise without really good influence from really good people. Um, I didn't go, you know, I, I, I feel like growing up in Norfolk, Virginia, um, a lot of the, I mean, there's, there's a lot of history that, a history there with Norfolk, um, that we don't have time to go into, but like, it was kind of like people looked down on you if you were from Norfolk. Oh. Um, and you know, they were like, oh, that's, you know, your schools aren't great. And, you know, obviously like, there's like a, a gender class race thing involved in all of that. And that's, that's another podcast in and of <laughs> itself. Um, so I, I don't like, I, I went to the school that wasn't like the best school or, you know, that didn't have the best resources. Um, but I had great teachers who really were invested in their students um, and in their students' extracurriculars, too. So I had a great theater teacher. I had a great, you know, rowing coach. Um, I had great teachers in, like, French and English classes and art classes that were really invested in their students um, and really believed that I was capable of going into higher education because of, you know, my curiosity and my like desire to like do something different. Um, and I think being first gen means is you're someone who has a lot of life experience over the course of like a short period of time. Um, and that life experience can sometimes leave you like jaded, but you shouldn't let it do that. You should really embrace it and, um, you know, be good to yourself and others as a first-generation person on your, your journey. Yep. Um, on that note, Melissa. So I think for me, I'm the first in my family, but I won't be the last. And I feel like I stand on the shoulders of the giants who came before me, you know, my ancestors, who some of them came to this country, they couldn't speak English, and, and they came here to pursue the American dream. And I feel like I'm the byproduct of their American dream. The fact that I got to go to an amazing college and get an undergraduate degree in anything I wanted to do, get a graduate degree, have this amazing career that I have, and then I get to give back. It, it's, I take it as having this serious responsibility that, I don't know. It's such a special thing, um, and and I love it. I, I'm proud of being first generation. I I don't see it as a bad thing at all, um, and it's just so it's so special to me. And it's special to me too because the people who came before me in my family, my parents in particular, and and my grandparents, and I have a wonderful godmother. Like they believed in me. They believed in me so much from being a little girl that. You know, to say, like, you're going to go to college and to instill that in me and then make sure that financially we were able to do it. They sent me to the best schools that they could so that I could have a really full life, a better life than what they had. Like, I just have so much gratitude. It, it's it's the greatest thing, honestly. Wow. 
Wow. Like, but both of what y'all shared, like, really resonated with me in different ways. I always say, like, I'm the, um, my ancestor's wildest dream. Mm. Um, but even beyond that, I'm the product of, like, a selfless, hardworking, single mother who was in this country, was undocumented for most of my life. We, I grew up below the poverty line in Texas, and thinking about the sacrifices that she made to get me to this point, a lot of times I think about my successes are for her and our tangible way for her to see, like, you did this in a huge way. Um, same thing about, like, since I was a little girl, like, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to school. Back then I was saying I was going to be a doctor. Uh, <laughs> took a different route, but um, that's all I heard. So, like, even I wasn't allowed to get a job in high school. Neither did I. And... <laughs> It's like you're going to focus on school and that's yep. your priority and that's what you need to focus on. And I look back now and I'm I'm like, wow, like we did not have it. <laughs> like we were struggling and that was still the priority. Um, and so for me, being first gen is all of the things like it's something that I'm so proud of. It's something that building this legacy of knowing sometimes I think to myself, like, like my kids are not going to be first gen. And like it's an identity I hold so close and I'm happy for. But I'm, like, also happy, like, y'all won't have some of the things, some of the roadblocks um, and some of the questions that you have no idea that you need to be asking. Like, you'll have somebody and have that resource. Um, and so I think that being first gen is something that is so ingrained in me, even before I had the words to describe that, oh, I'm first gen. Um, I'm also the first of my siblings I have a little brother who's in college and so that additional layer of like wanting to get things right or wanting to figure out all the things so I can like tell him and help him guide or tell my mom like okay this is what you have to do to do this to do this to get him to get this figured out um and so being able to even within like my generation be able to help my family even more um and seeing that pride and those accomplishments is just something that it's so hard to put into words how impactful and meaningful it is wow um i never thought about the fact that our like the way first being first gen is so ingrained in our identities that our next generation wouldn't have that mm -hmm. and it's also a point where like we connect with so many people in so many unique ways and that will not be the point we will connecting with them because <laughs> they will, like, our struggles, because they have that resource mm -hmm. in home, like, they might not see it as a struggle because we help them figure it out so easily that they were like, oh, that was a big thing for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so very interesting. Um, Melissa, what do you think um, your first-gen experience, like, how did it shape your experience, like, your college experience? Um, you can say professionally, socially, emotionally, whichever aspect you want to focus on. So there, so there's a lot of different ways. So I feel like I couldn't rely on my first teachers, who are my parents and my family, to answer some of the questions that I had because they didn't have that as part of their lived experience. So we, we definitely had to be resourceful in that regard. I'm super fortunate because I had an incredible Jesuit college prep high school where we were like programmed, we were going to go to college and there was actual programming to help you to be able to achieve that. So I had a lot of support 
in terms of my teachers and my school counselors in high school. And, and, and that's the part where I feel like I'm super fortunate because not all first-gen students have that experience. So I, I was definitely advantaged in that regard. Um, I think, too, we were more reliant on people at the University of Scranton to answer our questions. Like, my dad had to call Mr. Burke, the director of financial aid at that time, and say, like, could we have a little more money to send Melissa to the university because I had better financial aid offers elsewhere, places I really didn't want to go that were farther from home. And had it not been for Mr. Burke really being open and saying, hey, call me with questions, call me if you're not sure on your package, that sort of thing. Like, I don't know where I would have ended up. I might have ended up at a place where I would have been unhappy and I would have transferred, which I didn't want to do. So I'm always grateful there, too. Um, I think professionally, I've had opportunities that my parents and grandparents could only have dreamed of. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I it's incredible the things I get to do in my role working in higher education, working in admissions the people that I'm interacting with, the students that I'm getting to help. Like if I didn't go to college, none of this would be. I don't know where I would be. I don't know what I would be doing, but I wouldn't be doing this. And that is like the scariest thing sometimes when I think about that. Um, So I think my career trajectory like is just different, everything. Um, The opportunities that kind of fall onto me or that I help create – they're different too because I've had this education behind me. I literally, like every day I wake up and I'm grateful that I have an undergraduate and a master's degree. I, I really do um, because that might not have been the case. Um, and I think sometimes too, socially, and, and I don't know you know, if others feel this way, but I think especially being a woman like and a first-generation young woman, I go into some social circles and I sometimes pinch myself and I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I live where I live. I can't believe I have the position that I have. And it's not, it's like imposter syndrome a little bit, but I think it's also this like questioning and disbelief of, do I belong in the spaces that I'm in? Um, it's definitely filled with a lot of gratitude. Like I'm always grateful, but I, I know I sometimes have to say to myself, like, can't believe like you're doing the things you're doing, Melissa. <laughs> Why are you doing that? You're doing it because you have your education behind you. Yep. Um, that's something that even in po- in this podcast and like in general conversations came up, like imposter syndrome is real. For it is. Um, because like, the fact that we have like earned that position and we came through this struggle, it's feel like we are still in that survival and struggle mode versus feeling, as you said, like I made it, like I'm here now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think too, you know, I feel like for me, and Lex mentioned it, you know, like this idea that I want to give back. Like I know this information from the experiences I've had and I want to help students along the way. It's probably why... I'm in admissions um, is to do that. And, you know, I know, too, like sometimes when I would see somebody that might be hurting, like there's this homeless woman that I used to drive by. She would be under the metro underpass in Bethesda. And I would look at her and I would see her and I would think to myself, that could be you. 
it, it could be any one of us. It's just that I got lucky. You know, I had parents and a family that believed in the power, the transformative power of education, and they made sure I had that. If I didn't have that, where would I be? So, you know, it's just a powerful image that I keep with me a lot, and I pinch myself and go, yeah, yeah thank God I'm, I'm where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Betty? Oh, um, so how did being first gen impact your college experience? Okay. And you can talk about like your professional yes. life, social, emotional, whichever. Sorry, you, I have them pulled up. Yeah, that's, that's completely fine. <laughs> um, so I think for me being first generation in undergrad, it didn't, I don't think it really affected me until I got a little bit older because I was just so excited. Um, and I did you know, I did struggle a little bit navigating things. Um, You know, I had, I remember in undergrad, I had a lot of friends who were talking about going on to graduate school and they were talking about, you know, all of these other standardized tests that you had to take. And I had no idea that that existed. You know, the only ones I was familiar with were like the SAT. Um, And I had no idea that there were, you know, GREs and LSATs and MCATs and and what have you. And, you know, they were going to go on to do all of these other things. Uh, And I think, uh, the first generation experience I had with, uh, you know, going beyond a bachelor's, that is when I really started to, you know, feel like, okay, I, I don't think I know what I'm doing. Um, I felt like I did pretty well as an undergraduate student. Um, and I think getting into, I think getting into undergrad was definitely a journey. Um, you know, I definitely had some help with getting this great opportunity with an athletic scholarship, but I didn't, it's like I didn't fully understand the process of, of applying either. And we don't, um, you know, I don't remember my high school having a really strong pipeline of helping students, you know, navigate the the college process other than, oh, by the way, you should take an SAT at some point. <laughs> um, and I remember I had, I had this binder where I was trying to gather information. And, like, I don't remember having, like, counselors – who, you know, I remember having counselors that were like, okay, what class are you going to take in high school? But I don't remember them being very, you know, able to assist us with the next step. Uh, And I think I got most of that from my rowing coach. Uh, But I I remember I had this binder of, okay, these are the colleges I'm looking at that have these programs that I'm interested in. You know, if not this program, then this program, or if not this program, then this program. But they also have, like, I can see that they have these, like, clubs and, you know, all these other things. And I had... um, a list of scholarships I was applying to, but looking back on that, I'm realizing that they were more like contests and not really scholarships. Mm-hmm. So I didn't fully understand, you know, where does this money come from? <laughs> um, you know, and my my parents, you know, they had, you know, told me my whole life, you're going to go to college, you're going to go to college. And then when it came time to pay for college, none of us knew what that was like mm-hmm. other than me getting some scholarship and then you know, I got a little bit more through the university, through other things like academics. And, um, you know, there are always like random scholarships that they can give you for X, Y, and Z. Um, so I think the process of getting in was probably more stressful than I remember. Because once I was in, I was like, this is exciting. This is great. Um, but I didn't have the opportunity to apply to, you know, like a bunch of schools because it was very – it was – it's still very expensive to to apply to any kind of schooling. Um, and I remember I applied to maybe like three or four, but there were a lot more that I wanted to apply to. And I was like, I can't, 
you know, my parents don't have the money. Um, I didn't understand fee waivers and how you could get those. And I also think when I was applying to undergrad in the mid-2000s, I, I graduated high school in 2007. There was still a lot of transitioning into online. Uh, like, I remember filling out some paper applications for undergrad, and some schools had online applications, but not all yet. Um, like, some were still in this transitional process, which was also a weird thing to think about, you know? Like, my undergraduate experience was kind of in this weird liminal space of, you know, everything being, you know, upgraded through technology and whatnot. Uh, and then I think it's it it's shaped my experience more as a graduate student because I've had so many years off in between undergrad and graduate. And again, I think, you know, with the, the giving back, I definitely feel compelled to do that. Uh, and I'm a little bit older than a lot of my my cohorts and my colleagues. And I've definitely found that we've had a lot of students who have come directly from undergrad to graduate school, especially in the wake of the pandemic. It's They didn't feel like they had any other opportunities. Um, so I feel like I've been able to help them with things like their resume. I'm like, you know, you have these skill sets. I can help you, you know, market these skill sets as someone who's worked professionally for years, um, you know, and trying to like build up their confidence as people who are going to step out into the workforce, you know, because I've had all this experience doing that and I know how to kind of cater a resume. So that's, you know, something I try to think about. And I'm always trying to organize professional development for our students and events for our students to get out there and get to meet people. Um, and when I've gone to the, you know, our, our academic conference is trying to make sure that our students know as many people as possible. Um, Cause I've had the opportunity to go to a couple of different conferences, thanks to some graduate student travel funding. Um, well, only, only one <laughs> because I only trans like everything trying to transition back to in person like the last year and a half. Yeah. My first year and a half was online, so everything was online. Um, so I've gotten to kind of create this network, and I feel like, uh, you know, my network and my resources is getting stronger, and I'm able to help guide my you know the other students there. And I think it's also given me an opportunity to uh, talk to my professors differently mm -hmm. as someone who has worked professionally um, and kind of changed careers. So if they say something that's like confusing or like weird, you know, I know that they're not doing it from a malicious place because all of our professors are wonderful, but I can be like, hey, like, I think what you're trying to say is this, but remember, I'm a first generation person, so this doesn't resonate with me, you know, and like I have had a different career leading up to this. So it wasn't, you know, necessarily very heavy, heavily academic. Um, but I, I know that I'm capable and you know that I'm capable, but I think we need to have a little bit of a, like change the way we're having this conversation so that we're all on the same page and we all feel like confident about what we're doing. Um, you know, and, and they're, they're awesome and like super receptive to that. And I think that, you know, my experience makes me able to, you know, feel okay saying these things or feel okay asking these questions. That's pretty interesting that, um, we hear like that's something that's all we also hear in first gen, gen um you know community is like because as uh you said like you know we are um standing on the shoulder of giants so uh the idea of like giving back is very prominent and as you said like you don't have to be in a giving field per se mm -hmm. you can just give back um just 
if you have the intention for it, you will find a way. So you just like unofficially mentoring these students and telling them how they can like market their um, skills in another way of like giving back because you know, when you were undergrad, you could have benefited a lot from that or a new master's student, right? Um, like or, your, or, yeah, that, or even mm-hmm. like being in a lot of the spaces that we are in now. Um, I think, Melissa, you talked about like um, the pinching yourself. Yeah. Like we are literally living in a whole different world mm-hmm. than what our families are living in. Like when I talk to my mom about my mom's my best friend, my biggest um, cheerleader, but it's a learning process for her when I'm talking to her about, oh, I'm doing a podcast about X, Y and Z. Wait, huh? Right. <laughs> or I'm going to this event or this program or this conference it's a whole new world and we're experiencing it in a way of like nobody like I don't have anybody to talk about this necessarily or that has gone through even just like the situations or like spaces we occupy. And I think that this occupying that space is a way of giving back of being like that language isn't accessible. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're excluding people and unconsciously. Right. And so like pointing those things out is another way of, kind of proactively fighting the battles for other people so they don't have to go through those same struggles that we go through. Um, and the question, I mm-hmm. think something that came up, so some when I was in grad school, I got to take a class, um, Dr. Pat McDonough, and she, a lot of her scholarship and a lot of her work is about the college, the college going culture. Um, within like K-12 systems and how much of an impact that has on students. Um, and as I was sitting here, I was like, wow, I'm like hearing the, the different narratives of being at a Jesuit prep school and like being able to like have preparation ingrained yes. um, versus like I, similarly to Betty, I did not have counselors that were as, like they didn't have the capacity necessarily. There wasn't somebody dedicated to just like college prep. And so right before I graduated, they started trying to build something out. Um, or like AVID was the class that first gen, like usually limited income. Um, so free reduced lunch eligible students could take to like kind of start that process and like build it. Um, but on the GPA scale, it was classified as like a lower percentage so it was hurtful for students to take the class so a lot of students like I chose not to take that class because I needed to take um what do you call it it's not honors like AP class thank you I was like wow what was that that was so long ago um take AP classes because I needed my GPA to be high because that's all I could think about when that's what you need when you go to college um and even like that whole process of like what you should be doing prepping for college right and so thinking about how that culture impacts you and how being first gen in that way can impact you as you are trying to get to a school. Um, was really what I think about, like, as I, how it, how it affected me before I even stepped foot on Texas A&M's campus. Um, I think that overall me being first gen, how it impacted some of my college experience. And I heard it even when I was listening to y'all, um, was that constant feeling of like, am I doing this quote unquote right? Like how, <laughs> what, what does right mean? <laughs> like what does success mean? Or even like the minimization of our accomplishments. I feel a lot of times of, oh, like that's not a big deal. Or I'm like, like that, that's just supposed to happen. We're supposed to do that. Like there's no significance. And like seeing that 
even as I look back now, or even as I talk about where I went to grad school or when I talk about like certain things I've um, taken part of that minimization, I think was built in because it was like, like, it's no big deal. Like whatever. Um, and I think that lays into like that um, doing right, going from not involved and working and being super, super involved and stretching myself thin and doing all the things because I don't know what's the path to where I'm going. Um, and I think that professionally being first gen led me to the work I do now in multiple ways. One of them was being first gen, <laughs> um, and coming from like a lower, like, um, below the poverty line and things like that meant going through the job search process after I graduated college was the scariest thing that I could think of. Like, <clears throat> even thinking about it now, like, <laughs> it was so such a stressful experience because I didn't understand how people got jobs after they graduated. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to go to college, but, like, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, and as somebody who was pre-med up until as a senior of college, I'd never thought about an internship or, a, like... I'd done a bunch of different things in a lot of different areas, but I didn't understand what you did next, <clears throat> right? Like, I, I, my mom reaches out to me when she needs me to help her with her resume, or, like, my mom has had the same job for years and years and years at this point, right? And so when I finally decided that pre-med was not the goal, um, and I'd been doing a lot of work that was within student affairs, I was working in financial aid, I was doing like extended orientation. I was athletic, like athletic trainer. Like I was doing all of the things. I don't know how I had time. I wish I still had my energy level of then, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> um, I was not ready to try to job search. I was scared out of my mind. Um, and somebody, somebody who was a boss to me at that time, she was no longer my supervisor. Um, also first gen had a very interesting path. It was like, you know, you can go to school for this, like this, like you want to help people, you want to do these things. Maybe this is like what that path looks like. And so I think that um, unofficially, I was already doing a lot of mentorship things. A lot of things I got involved in was because either people didn't look like me in those spaces or I didn't know how to do certain things. I wanted to prevent that for people. Um, and so on the like happy front, like that's how it led me to where I am professionally now. But on the other, like very real transparent, I was so scared to try to job search that grad school made more sense in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think that being first gen has also like made me super empathetic. I think it's made me very resourceful. I think was the word that she used was we're going to make, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we're going to make ends meet that have never seen each other. And so figuring out all of those things, I think first gen has being first gen in my first gen identity has guided me even before I even understood what being first gen really was. I just, I, I love that you bring up kind of being spread really thin in undergrad. Cause I remember feeling that way too. Cause I was constantly like, I have to make connections. I have to do all these things so I can like really beef up my resume and make this like, worth it. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know how I did it. It's it's cause I wasn't really doing it. I was just spread very thin <laughs> and I had a very uh, different experience than my teammates because most of them were, I think almost all of them were not first generation. I think I was one of the very few that were. 
Um, and they had a very different experience because they had like a financial safety net and mm-hmm. they had parents who could like support them and like pay their bills. Whereas I was like, there was like, why are you always doing stuff on campus? I'm like, I don't have a choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and like I had a job in undergrad and, um, and my experience as a graduate student, I've been really given an opportunity to thrive because I, my husband is an engineer, so I have a lot of support from him. I had a, a decent job before I left to, to start um, graduate school. So I've been really able to thrive because my situation has changed drastically. Um, and I think if every student was given the full opportunity to thrive um, without having to like stress about money or anything like mm-hmm. that, or, you know, some of the convoluted systems that we have in place. Yeah. Like, we could be doing am- amazing things. Because yeah. we have so many wonderful students on campus who are just wildly intelligent. And, mm-hmm. and they don't know what they don't know. Like, yeah. you, you don't know what to ask when you have no, no idea that yeah. it even exists. Well, mm-hmm. and you have to be scrappy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Got like, pushed. when <laughs> yes, yes, there's this drive that that's within you to do as much as you can because you're trying to get yourself out of something, right? You're trying to get yourself towards degree completion, towards whatever the future is, even though we don't know what that is. Um, you're, you're trying to do that. I love this conversation and thank you, Lex, for, um, I, I always like, we, you know, work in the same office and we talk a lot. <laughs> um, I love uh, how you make things more like accessible and like the honesty that you bring to the conversation makes other people think like, I feel that way, but I've never heard anyone else say it <laughs> in those words. So I've always appreciate that. Um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to like summarize the next few questions. Um, so uh, Melissa, we'll start with you. Um, can you like give us like one of your biggest challenge uh, that you faced being a first gen and how it shows up in your professional life and one advice for first gen students or professionals? Those are some really great questions. Um, I think for me, the biggest challenge was I couldn't rely on those that were closest to me to have all the answers that I needed to get through the process. And so while they were supporting me and helping me through it, it wasn't their lived experience and they couldn't speak from that personal experience to try to help me. Um, so I think that that, that was a challenge um, for me there. And I remember being afraid to call the admissions office or the financial aid office to ask questions at like 17 or 18 years old. Yet now as the director of undergraduate admissions, I think all students should do that. So <laughs> I got to sort that out within my own head. Cause I didn't want to do that as a as a kid um but yeah i i think that was a big challenge for me too um you know the advantage of being first gen i think is we get to pave the way we get to pave the way for those that come after us we are the trailblazers we didn't have preconceived notions maybe of what college was maybe it was what we saw on tv i think that's how i would think like (laughs) you know go to the head of the class or whatever was like the show that showed you or movies about college. It was like, Oh yeah. Like those professors are really mean. Like, no, that wasn't <laughs> like it. You know, that wasn't that at all. Yeah. Um, I think there was also like less judgment because like, at least for me, my family was there to be so supportive and they, 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 they're not judgy people at all, but like they, they didn't judge because they didn't, they didn't do it. Like anything that I did was totally amazing. Um, which which is good for me, you know, um, because 
they didn't get to do it. Um, so they're so proud of me because that wasn't their experience and other reasons, of course, because um, because they love me. And and to think, you know, when I walked across the stage and I graduated as an undergrad, that was a huge moment. That was a huge moment, not just for me, but for my whole entire family. And I guess I don't know that I realized the significance of that until I actually sat back and reflected on that experience. And some of it is even in getting ready uh, to, to do this podcast. But the advice that I would give, it's to, to do you. Like, you're going to do amazing things. Don't stop doing it. It's important to pause and, and reflect on what you're living in terms of your experience because it's an incredible one and it's, it's unique to you. It's yours and yours alone and you're creating it. And it might be with the support of those closest to you. It may not be. Um, but it's for you and, and you don't stop when a door, if you think a door closes, you can find a way to get that door open. You know, that's the thing about being first gen. Like we are resilient. We, we don't stop. We're pioneers. We're trailblazers and, and we don't stop. And you know what? Share your story, help empower other people because it's in that experience that we help others. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing that for somebody else. Wow. Like. So I'll re like mm -hmm. say the question again. Um, what is what was your biggest challenge uh, being a first gen? How does your first gen identity shows up in your profession? And a piece of advice that you would give to first gen students or professionals? Mm -hmm. I think my biggest challenge. Um, you see, you kind of touched on this with being scared to call um, admissions or financial aid or whomever. Um, I think my biggest challenge was like advocating for myself. And like feeling entitled to advocate for myself, to ask for help, to push, to just seek help or clarification in spaces instead of being like, well, I should just be grateful for this. I should be, I should just be happy that I'm here. Or I should just be happy that I got this or like, it's fine. And I look back now or like when I'm working with my students, I guess it's kind of like and so professionally, but when I work with my students, I'm pushing them to do certain things because I'm like, there's so many additional opportunities or additional outcomes that could have happened if I had thought for myself or I'd known that I could, that things weren't set in stone. It wasn't black and white. It, there were so many shades of gray and I was entitled for help to help. I was entitled to be a priority and to ask and to make my mark at the institution or even in the classes I struggled with or to a, to a professor's office hours. Um, I think that was a challenge that is still something that I'm processing and dealing with as a being first gen and being a professional and being um, in this space of one sharing that narrative as advice or like um, motivation to my students, but also still sometimes feeling like I do not know what I'm doing. I do not know how this is supposed to go. If I'm doing things right, is this how it's supposed to happen? And leaning into that, not knowing and asking for help. Um, even as a professional, I always tell my students, I am a hundred percent willing to share all of the ups, the downs, the embarrassing moments, all the things I've gone through at this point, if it will benefit you and help you um, learn from it as well. Um, and I think that my piece of advice is, let go of the guilt. I think there, it's not talked about as much as like all the different layers of guilt. 
within being a first-gen student. Um, and it could be from being able to have all these opportunities that the people that you love haven't had, right? Or for me, I was the most financially secure I've ever been in my life when I was in college. Um, and I would feel so bad when I wanted to do something with my friends for I needed to buy more clothes for X, Y, and Z. And it would weigh on me in so many different ways or, Oh, I'm frustrated and overwhelmed and stressed. I'm like, but how can you feel that if they're going through X, Y, and Z back home? Um, or they did, they overcame all of these things. And I think that the guilt that comes with being first gen and having additional opportunities or having, um, additional security that you can't necessarily share out, especially when you're in school, um, is something that I wish I had heard when I was, when I was there in that point, I wish I was, um, there when I was in grad school and I had family tragedies both in undergrad and grad school. And I was not there. I wasn't there to make sure my mom was okay. I wasn't there to be as, um, see my brother through high school because we're four years apart. So I was in college when he started high school and there's so much guilt that I didn't understand or realize or process that like looking back, I'm like, wow, this is something that other people feel or, or experience in different levels. Um, and it's okay to let it go. I think that there's, you're not a bad person. <laughs> you're not in the wrong. Um, but letting that go. I needed to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. So I think um, what I'm going to say kind of ties in really nicely with everything you guys have said. And I feel like I'm also walking white with some really good advice. So some of the struggles that I, I definitely know I've faced as someone who's a first generation student and first generation, you know, in a professional workforce mm -hmm. is having a lack of boundaries uh, and having a lack of boundaries in work. So for me constantly you know, saying yes to everything yep. and again, spreading myself too thin um, because I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly afraid of being seen as like, I'm not working hard enough or like I'm ungrateful or, you know, I'm lazy. Like I should just be happy to be here. I should be happy to have a job. You know, these things are untrue. Like we are absolutely entitled to our boundaries in our work life and our professional, you know, in our, our school life, you know, we're entitled to have our boundaries and I'm still learning how to set good boundaries as, you know, uh, a professional, as a student, um, because I do want to help people. And it's hard for me to say no to, to things uh, because I feel like it's going to benefit me, but it could also just be, you know, using my time that I could use to like re relax, reset, and it's okay to like rest and take care of yourself. Uh, and as for my advice is be scrappy, but kind. Uh, Melissa, you said scrappy earlier, and that's something that I feel like I've always defined myself as. Um, but being scrappy and fighting for community and fighting to build community that's going to be better for us long term. So, you know, you're going to that building that community is so vital because we don't do this alone. Um, there are other people like, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We are our ancestors wildest dreams. Um, you know, we and we've had to fight so hard to get where we are, but we want to be kind and be good to each other and build that community. So be scrappy, but kind. 
That's bring somebody up along the way with you. Yeah. Yep. Always. That was beautiful. Uh, well, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much, uh, Betty, Lex, and Melissa. And stay tuned for the next episode. Bye-bye. Oh my god, that was awesome. Oh, yeah. That's why everybody started podcasting. <laughs> you, you all are amazing. Like, I just have such like good energy. Yeah. yeah, I know, I did. And I